preaching on. So Philippians 4, 10 through to the conclusion. So Philippians chapter 4. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. Not that I'm looking for a gift, but I am looking for what may be credited to your account. I have received full payment, and even more. I am amply supplied, now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all of your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet all the saints in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me send greetings. All the saints send you greetings, especially those belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. This is the word of God. Thanks and praise be to him. Thank you, Norm. Is my voice clear at the back and the front? I have to remember to keep my voice a bit louder than usual. Just before the service, Alan King came to me and said that he had a, a copy of something and it turned out to be a copy of my sermon notes. I don't know how they got there. But if, you, if somebody else does have a copy, please feel free to read them and see if I stick to them properly. I can't guarantee that I will. We come to this last part of the letter of the Apostle Paul to the church at Philippi. And in these last verses, he returns to something that he had talked about earlier in his letter. And these ideas were centered on the generous gifts that the Philippians 
had sent to him when he was in prison in Rome. And now Paul explains what this gift has meant to him and as he writes teaching the Philippians about important truths about contentment, we too can in Tari 2,000 years later learn valuable lessons as we follow Paul's teaching. The words of scripture here can help us to have greater contentment and not to be racked by a desire for more and more possessions. So the central theme of the passage is contentment. And the take home message, I always like to see what is the take home message, it is be content in Christ. And the important words in that are in Christ because it's our position in Christ which gives us contentment, not the things that we have. So the central theme is contentment. In Philippians chapter, uh, chapter, 10, uh, chapter 4, verse 10, or rather verse 9, Paul has said this, Whatever you have heard or received or heard from me or seen in me, put in practice, and the God of peace will be with you. You see, the lessons that Paul has learned, he thinks are worth handing on to the Philippians. And here these lessons about contentment are the ones that we are to hear about. So he's got wise advice to give us from this experience. And that's certainly part of God's inspired word for us here 2,000 years later. So the advice can be distilled into three parts. The generosity of others, the discipline of self, and the faithfulness of God. And these three sources of contentment will come out as we think about these verses from Philippians 4. But before we look at these three, I want to speak of a few words, three or four things that I'd like to say about contentment. First of all, what's the definition of contentment? And if you look up some dictionaries, you'll find various meanings. It's just a couple up there. Desiring no more than one has, to be satisfied, or to be in a state of peaceful happiness. The reality of life is that we can be contented in one area and yet not contented in another. I could be contented about my financial situation, but disconnected, discontented about my health or about my spirituality and my dedication to the Lord. In chapter four, Paul is talking about his physical needs. To put it bluntly, he's talking about money, not talking about other things. Secondly, Paul is not saying that he never wants things to be different. In a letter to Timothy, that young man that was very close to him, he made this statement, godliness with contentment is great gain. And then a few sentences later, after talking about the love of money, he says to, to Timothy, but you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance and gentlemen and gentleness. You see, having encouraged Timothy to be content in the Lord, he then asks him to pursue righteousness, etc. I remember having a conversation with a friend many years ago, not a friend here, and this friend quoted this verse 11, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every way. And he used this as an excuse for some of his sinful attitudes. He said, God may be that way, I just have to be content. He should have been pursuing godliness. 
He should not have been content with the sinful attitudes that he had. So this is not to be used as an excuse for laziness. It's not an excuse for inaction, but it's a call to action. The third thing I wanted to say was that we can experience contentment in various degrees. I could be more content today than I was yesterday. Sometimes contentment can increase and become a, a very difficult thing, a, a severe state of anxiety. So contentment can be there in varying degrees. And fourthly, I think I can hear you saying, Lord, uh, William, I've heard all this before. Why is it necessary for us to go over it again? And I'll tell you why it's necessary, because in the Western world, we are bombarded by messages in the press and in advertising that are shouting the opposite of contentment. Every day, the advertising industry is unashamedly proclaiming things like this. If you buy this brand of car, you will be more satisfied, you will be more sat contented. If you dress with this brand of clothes, you'll be more confident, you'll be more satisfied. If you eat this sort of health food, you'll have a wonderful body and it will make life very different. You see, the strategy of the, of the advertising industry is to create a sense of need and then to supply the, the uh, solution for that need by buying more, be, more goods. So we're surrounded by these messages that appeal to our desire for satisfaction. We are told that through the media that we are missing out on pleasure and excitement and contentment if we don't respond and buy. And of course you hear the words, hurry, the sale ends on Sunday. We've got to do something to hurry and get contented. So we're in the midst of this ocean of information that is designed to cause discontent in our lives. And it's not the sort of contentment that we will get. It can poison our lives with desires that will not be, can, will not be overcome by uh, buying things. It can poison our life with desires that make us discontented. But we can find in the Bible the antidote to this poison of lusting after material things. So in this passage of Philippians 4, there are three sources of contentment. There they are on the screen. Generosity of others, discipline of self, and faithfulness of God. So of course, I've called the first three of these sources of contentment the generosity of other. And if you look at verse 10, Paul writes, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. You see, he was thrilled by the gift that the Philippians had sent to him by Epaphroditus. And he then goes on to tell them why he was thrilled. And the reason was that the evidence, that this was evidence of their concern for him and the evidence of their love for the Lord. And he recounts a bit of the history that their generosity had brought. He says, not that I am looking for a gift, but I'm looking for what may be credited to your account. And so then he describes the gifts in this way. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. Aren't they beautiful words? A fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. In no way is he belittling their gifts. He, recommend, he commends the Philippians for their generosity. The reason for their generosity is that they are linked to Paul in Christian love. 
And that is why he says in verse 70, yet it was good to share in my trouble. They shared in his troubles. So he appreciated their generosity, but he wanted to make it clear that he was thrilled, not just because of the amount that he received, but because it was in a, a, a token of their love for him and their appreciation that Paul was in prison because of the work that he was doing in the gospel of God. So all of Paul's letters in the New Testament see how he des show how he desired to see the churches that he had established expressing love and care for each other. And he wanted this to have be more and more evident all the time. But Paul was also realistic in that he knew that this love which helped to support the work of the gospel was not always as strong as he would have liked. Hear what he says in verse 15 and 16. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except for you only. And I like the way that Norman made the, uh, the uh, stress on the word, not one church. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. You see, the ideal Christian community should be known for his love. The ideal Christian believer should be committed to the care of other people, particularly of those who are of the family of God. They are not alone when trouble occurs. And this is, it should be a reality for us. You see, it should be a two-way situation. As a follower of Jesus Christ, I want to express my love for others who follow Christ. And so my position in Christ should make me express that love to other people. But this also, the fact remains that when I, because I'm in that family of God, I receive care from other people. And a little bit more about that later. Now the support that Paul needed was largely in the form of money. However, the support that you and I may, have, may need may be something of another kind. It may be words of encouragement. It may be a visit to someone who has been lonely. It may be wise advice in a difficult situation. Do you feel this support in this church? I do. An example occurred just last week. As you know, may know, earlier this year, I made a decision that my health was deteriorating and that it was time for me to give up preaching. You may be saying, that's right, William. <laughs> However, when I heard that Chris was in difficulty getting somebody to preach this Sunday, I volunteered. That's okay. But I did experience some anxiety, even as I am now, about preaching with Parkinson's disease. Last week, Gary Hill came to me and said, I'll organise a seat for you on the stage and somewhere to put your glass of water. I forgot to bring the water up. Could you, <laughs> could you bring it up? Yeah. See, Gary knows that I have Parkinson's disease. He knows also too that I find myself getting very weak when I stand for very long and my voice is affected by the Parkinson's as well. So when he said to me, I'll organise a seat for you on the stage, I was immediately less anxious than I had been. I was immediately more contented than I had been. 
not only was it because he was kind to me in that way, but it indicated that we were brothers in Christ. He was interested in keeping me supported in order to fulfill what I had said I would do. But that wasn't all. When I came here this morning, I was almost surrounded by people who were helping me, praying for me, supporting me, giving me good advice. One bit of, <laughs> one bit of good advice was, said, was by Ruth who said, you know, when we get old, we have to learn to say that word, no. <laughs> so even good advice like that can be helpful and supporting. This contentment comes to us through the generosity of God's people. And as I said, it's a two-way situation. How does showing generosity, if I show generosity to somebody else as a brother of Christ, how does that support me? How does that influence me? It influences me because I put myself in the family of God. That's why we sang that today. We are in a family of God. We are brothers and sisters. And when we show expression, when we express love to, other, to another, that love comes back to us because it's a two-way thing. But life isn't perfect. In verse 15, Paul reveals a disappointment. He writes, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me the matter of giving and receiving. He obviously felt very disappointed in the past when most of the churches didn't respond to his need and his call for help. But Paul realised that the Philippians had been unable to send him money because of circumstances beyond their control. But when circumstances changed, they managed to send support through Epaphroditus to Paul in prison. But like Paul, we must be realistic too. This support of our brothers and sisters in the Lord is not always as strong as we would like it. But let me say this, Tari Baptist Church, it's wonderful to be in a church that does express love and care for each other as you folk do here in Tari Baptist Church. But let me encourage you to continue to develop that as brothers and sisters in the Lord so that we will have greater contentment, a greater sense of security in the Lord. Now, the Apostle John also wrote about this in his first letter. He also linked the Christian's love with other, of one another with the assurance of our position in Christ. Let me read to you from 1 John 3.16. It's another one of these 3.16s. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love in words or tongue but with actions and truth. When you hear these words of scripture, how do you feel? I must admit that I feel pretty disheartened in many ways. How can I ever reach this standard to give my life for my brothers and sisters in Christ? How can I meet that challenge? There on the screen, the words, verses 19 and 20, are very, very comforting to me. This is then how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence whenever our hearts condemn us. For God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. You see, our God is a God of grace. He knows we are not perfect and he tells us that even when our hearts condemn us, 
there is forgiveness with him. Have you given your life to the Lord? Have you become one of the family of God? Have you asked for forgiveness and acceptance because of Christ's death and resurrection? If so, then even now Christ is at the right hand of God the Father, representing you, forgiving you, and accepting you in him. This is your position in Christ. It gives you comfort when you are painfully aware that you fall short of truly sacrificial love for others. So these words of Apostle John are telling us that when we, when we support one another as believers in Christ, even though we don't do it perfectly, we are creating the environment in which we can develop contentment. And God knows this and God forgives. So let us be sensitive to the needs of others in the family of God. And let's continue to respond to their needs. And in doing this, we will help to transmit contentment to others and to ourselves. The second source of contentment is discipline of self. If the first factor of developed Christian contentment is generosity to others, the second is our own attitude towards the circumstances of life. Paul wrote in verses 11 to 12, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Now Paul uses two different words to, to describe his learning. When he first writes, I have learned, the meaning stresses the personal program, pro pronoun, I have learned. In other words, he's saying that learning contentment is a personal experience. It comes from personal discipline, from taking the circumstances of life and learning from them, spiritually growing. In another letter in 2 Corinthians, Paul gives a hint of this practice of personal discipline. He describes a personal struggle and he writes, we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So in order to, be, to reach contentment, I have to take hold of thoughts that are wrong and I have to throw them out. I have to say to myself, I will not covet, I will not desire what is not mine, and I'll th take that thought and I'll throw it out. I won't entertain that thought. So it's a personal dif discipline. You, it's useful to have conversations with, my, with myself, and I think it's con the conversations with yourself would also be helpful. You have to remind yourself that your security does not come from having more. It comes from the fact that Jesus Christ has died for me and for you and that he will care for you because he rose from the dead and you will be resurrected and when, you, when he returns at the end of the ages to live with him forever. It's your position in Christ that's important. It's not how much you have. So it's useful to have conversations with yourself King David in Psalm 103 starts off this way. Praise the Lord, O my soul. All my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. And Psalm 103 goes on to tell of all the Lord's gracious actions and his forgiveness and his power. And I hope that we will sing some of these words in our closing song. Bless the Lord, O my soul. 
O oh, my soul, worship his holy name at the end of the service. We're not quite up to that yet. It's a useful thing to be able to think and to take control of your thoughts. And this will overcome content, but it's a personal challenge. The second way that Paul uses the word learning is that it's an idea of progressive learning. This doesn't come in an instant. It doesn't come instantaneously. It is something that is learned over a period of time. It's a process, and we shouldn't expect it just to happen at once. Some of these experiences would have been painful for Paul. The experiences of learning to be content can sometimes be very painful. But out of each episode, Paul would be able to look back and reflect that he was learning more and more about his position in Christ and learning to be content in this life because of his position in Christ, belonging to Jesus. And I have no, no doubt that Paul, as a Jewish man, would have used Psalm 103 to tell himself again and again to be content. To be content. O Lord, praise the Lord, O my soul, all my, all my inmost being. Praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. So the Lord has given, had given Paul opportunities to learn contentment, and he will give you opportunities to learn contentment too. Because every time you take control of your thoughts and say to yourself, I will not covet, I will be content, you become more able to ride above the circumstances as Paul did. That's why Paul could assure us in the verse 12 of this chapter, I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every way, whether to be well-fed or hungry, living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who strengthens me. And I just want to say a few words about, about verse 13. This verse is sometimes ripped out of context and applied to things that Paul would never have had in mind. When we think I can do everything through him who gives me strength, people have used this verse to claim extraordinary strength in situations where they were lacking it. Like being in the boxing ring or on the basketball court. And they've used it to give themselves courage. And it's fine to call on God when we're in need. But the verse has been used to imply that God will give us miraculous powers. It's been used in the, on the internet, if you look at it that way, almost like a Shazam or an open sesame, calling for greater power when it's needed. The verse should really be translated most accurately. I can do all these things through him that strengthens me. And what are the things that Paul is referring to? Paul has in mind remaining content with things when things are problems. But Paul's also remain, reminding them that he has to be content at times when he has good things happening. Do you realise that he is implying that discontent can occur even when you have plenty? You see, because contentment comes from your position in Christ. Learning contentment is a progressive experience. It's one that involves personal discipline, Yes, Paul had learned the secret of being content. It was a response to the circumstances of life that he had worked to develop. So we are able gradually, increasingly, to enjoy the same peace of spirit 
as we learn the secret of contentment. And this brings me on to the third of source of contentment, and that is the faithfulness of God. <clears throat> I think this is perhaps the most important thing to remember, is the faithfulness of God. Our learning to be content is not just a negative experience when we struggle with the control of our thoughts. Our contentment has its origin in our position in Christ. Our Saviour has given us privileged positions as sons and daughters of the Lord God Almighty, and he is faithful. We must think about the faithfulness of God to retain our contentment. Paul turns to this great truth in two places. In verse 13, he says, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. It is through God's faithfulness that he is able to experience contentment when things are difficult. And then in verse 19, he encourages us to follow his example. He says, my God will meet all your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. Just remember, it's in Christ Jesus that his riches are, not in any money. It's clear that the most important source is when we rise above the difficult circumstances by remembering the faithfulness of God. When we turn from the fact that we're under stress and we remind ourselves of our position in Christ and that he is faithful. How can we do this? Well, firstly, certainly we can pray. We should pray. Our Saviour has given us this pattern when he taught his disciples in the Lord's Prayer, give us day by day our daily bread. And this will be more effective when we bear in mind and bring to mind the words of Scripture in which God has revealed himself as the trustworthy one. You see, the word of God is the sword that we have in battle and we should use the word to give us, self, to give us contentment. We can remember God's great acts recorded in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. We can bring to mind men like Joseph who was sold into slavery in Egypt and yet God put his hand on Joseph's life. So in good times and bad, God protected and guided his servant Joseph. When we're tempted, of course, we can think of the 23rd Psalm, which describes the Lord as a good shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table, a feast before me, even in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. These are words that you can take and bring to memory in the time when you're feeling discontent. They are words which remind you of your position in Christ, your position as a son and daughter of the Lord God Almighty. Or you could recall the words of Jesus in Matthew 5. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food, and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or, weep or store, reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you much more, not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labour or spin. 
Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like the one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown in the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has its troubles of its own. And I think the words of Peter sum up our position in Christ, and it may be worth even committing these words to memory. Second Peter 1.3 His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and goodness. I think they can be sort of shrunk down into the take-home take message, be content in Christ. What is it? Thank you. Be content in Christ is the take-home message. There are many other parts of the uh, Bible that you can re be reminded of God's faithfulness. But a good way to prepare yourself for difficult times is to remember these parts of the Bible, to commit them to memory so that they're ready to apply when things go wrong. So this passage from Philippians gives us three sources of contentment, the generosity of others, the discipline of self, and the faithfulness of God. And these three things are important in maintaining our position as in Christ, in remembering our position in Christ. If we trust him because he came from his father and lived on earth and died and rose again, then he is at God's right hand and his hand is on our life. And we can be confident in that. That is our position in Christ. Amen.